2020, the year that was. This is the end of the line episode for season two. I already did the season finale last week. And now this is a recap on all that was good, bad, and ugly about 2020 on my show. I have excerpts and samples and segments that I did throughout the year and decided to compile the weirdest, best, and most interesting segments for 2020. And I hope everyone has a great holiday season, wonderful Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, cool Kwanzaa, or if you don't celebrate anything at all, um, have a uh, Happy Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Kamas, if you want to combine all three, or um, whatever you celebrate. Have a great holiday season. I hope you enjoyed Paranormally Speaking for the year of 2020. And may there be more to come in season three that's even more interesting, more insightful, and that you return for season three. Thank you so much for all you've done as a listening audience for me so far. We have hit 3.2 thousand regular listeners every week for my show. Thank you so much to all my family, friends, and fans, and connections I've made along the way, especially this year. Uh, as bad as 2020 was in so many levels, I've connected with a lot of really good, interesting, and kind people who've helped make this sh- good show even greater. And now we're going to get into the final part of 2020 with a compilation of segments from all the shows this past year. Thank you, and see you next year. Could this be the remains of the ever-elusive Loch Ness Monster? Speculation that mystery skeleton washed up on beach during storm Ciara is the Loch Ness Monster. A gigantic skeleton washed up on an Aberdeenshire beach during a storm and has prompted online speculation over what it could be, including suggesting that it might be Nessie. A photograph of the carcass was posted on social media in the wake of the storm Ciara, which brought strong wind gusts to the whole of the UK. Hundreds of people have joined in the debate about what this mystery object might be via the community group. Fubar News suggestions, including that the skeleton is of a whale, while other ideas included a saltwater crocodile and the vertebrae of a brontosaurus or a diplodocus. Other contributors joining in the fun reckoned it was rarely seen a deep sea haggis or a Chinese New Year dragon. Various people suggested that it was Nessie. Brian Ingram said Nessie escaped to the sea, but then came to a sticky end. Emma Louise Bolin had a similar view. Nessie could not have adapted to salt water, she said. This picture was posted on FUBAR News, which is available through facebook.com slash FUBAR News slash photos. Related articles were first recorded Nessie sighting of 2020.
understand why everybody isn't following the same rules right now. They're very clear. So let's take a minute and let's go over them again. First, you must not leave the house for any reason, unless of course you have a reason and then you may leave the house. All stores are closed except those that are open and all stores must close unless of course they need to stay open. This virus is deadly. But don't be afraid of it. It can only kill people who are vulnerable and also those who are not vulnerable. We should stay locked down until the virus stops infecting people. And it will only stop infecting people if enough of us get infected that we build immunity. So it is very important that we get infected and also do not get infected. You should not go to the doctor's office or the hospital unless you have to go there. Unless, of course, you are too sick to go there. This virus has no effect on children except for those children in which it affects. The virus remains active on different surfaces for two hours or four hours or six hours but in most cases it's days and not hours and it needs a damp environment or a cold environment that is warm and dry in the air unless the air is plastic schools are closed so you need to homeschool your children unless you can send them to school because you are not home if you are at home you can school your children using various portals and online classrooms unless you have poor internet more than one child only one computer or you are working from home baking cakes can be considered math science or art. If you are home educating, you can include household chores within their education curriculum. And if you are home educating, you may start drinking at approximately 10 a.m. every day. If you are not home educating children, you may also start drinking at approximately 10 a.m. Masks are useless at protecting you against the virus but you still need to wear one because it can save lives. And in some cases it may even be mandatory, but also maybe not. You must not go to work, but you can get another job at which point you may go to work. Stay home. I don't know how many more celebrities we need to have tell you how important it is to go outside and take care of your mental health. There is no shortage of groceries in the supermarket. There are simply many things missing. You don't need to go buy a bunch of toilet paper, but you should buy some in case you need it. If you are sick, you may go out once you are better, but those in your household, they cannot go out once you are better, unless, of course, they need to go out. Animals are not affected by the virus, except for that cat that tested positive in Belgium in February, plus a couple tigers. The number of corona-related deaths will be announced daily, but we don't know how many people are infected because we were only testing those who are almost dead to determine if that's what they will die of. The people who die of corona who are not counted won't or will be counted, but maybe not. To help protect yourself during these times, you should be eating well and exercising, but exercising only eating what you have at home to avoid going to the stores unless you need toilet paper or a fence panel. It's important to get fresh air, but don't go to parks, but do go walk in other places. Just don't sit down unless you are old or pregnant but if you do sit down, don't sit for too long. Unless you are old and you are pregnant, in which case you need to sit down. But if you do sit down, don't eat. Unless you've had a long walk, which you are allowed to do if you are old or pregnant, except for times in which you aren't. Don't visit old people. But you have a moral obligation to take care of old people and bring them food and medicine. And finally, no businesses will go down due to coronavirus, except those businesses that go down due to COVID-19. I hope this cleared up any questions about what we should and should not be doing during this time. Please educate your friends and family with this information so we can remove any and all confusion surrounding this time. Thank you. On top of all of these things that are going on with the racial tensions in America that have been personified by people who seem to be an expert, an armchair expert in every walk of life, but have absolutely no clue as to how to remedy the situation or the real cause of it, 
or the real way to remedy it. That brings us to the current situation with COVID-19. We're still dealing with this, America. The entire world is plagued with this. Right now, when you look at it every year, about 5% to 20% of Americans get the flu each year. More than 200,000 people are hospitalized, just hospitalized, according to the CDC, and since the 1970s, between 3,000 and 49,000 people will have died from the flu each year. This is largely due to other infections and complications that can occur when you have the flu, particularly pneumonia. Now, as of June 14th, 2020, the number of both confirmed and presumptive positive cases of the COVID-19 disease reported in the United States have reached 2,299,890 people. Confirmed cases of COVID-19 with over 200,000 deaths reported among these cases. 200,000 people have died from COVID-19. 200,000 people from a virus that our own president said, oh, just fade away, just go away, it'll figure itself out, it'll get warm and make it go away. Oh, it's fake, it's just a hoax, they're just trying to destroy my chances of re-election. Buy my steaks, buy my ties made in China. That's from late February to mid-June. 200,000 people dead. In just four short months, there had been over 200,000 deaths as a result of a pandemic that our own president and his cult following called and continue to call a hoax and a plot to destroy his chances at re-election. Comparing COVID-19 deaths to flu type A and flu type B deaths is like comparing a bag of apples to a single banana. In one year, between 3,000 to 49,000 Americans will die from a flu type A and type B. That's a given. But in just four short months, listen to me, four short months, over 200,000 Americans have died from what so many people, including our president, have called a hoax. Stop comparing the flu to COVID-19. Now, please stand by for an important message from our sponsor. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. Bombshell, the government's once clandestine UFO program will review findings of unexplained materials and crashes. Ladies and gentlemen, the Pentagon has off-world vehicles not made on this earth. This information was released late last week. The story includes official comments provided by the Pentagon to Popular Mechanics as well as New York Times, as well as a clarification of Senator Harry Reid's original comments in the New York Times report. 
For years, the government has repeatedly changed its tune regarding its official involvement with UFO research. As recently as February, a Pentagon spokesperson told Popular Mechanics that while a government program did investigate unmanned aerial vehicles and other unexplained aerial phenomena for some time last decade, funding dried up in 2012. But when Popular Mechanics thoroughly investigated the covert program, multiple sources have indicated it's still ongoing to this day. Now, a new report in the New York Times confirms those accounts. The government's UFO unit currently resides in the Office of the Naval Intelligence, where it deals with classified matters and materials, per the report. Even though the unit itself isn't classified, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force is meant to standardize collection and reporting on sightings of UAVs and publicly divulge at least some of its findings. Twice a year, according to the Times, in a June Senate committee report, the Senate authorized appropriations for fiscal year of 2021 for the task force, supporting its efforts to reveal any links that unidentified aerial phenomena have to adversarial foreign governments and the threat they pose to the U.S. military assets and installations. The committee remains concerned that there is no unified comprehensive process within the federal government for collecting and analyzing intelligence on unidentified aerial phenomena. Despite the potential threat, the committee understands that the relevant intelligence may be sensitive. Nevertheless, the committee finds that the information sharing and coordination across the intelligence community has been inconsistent. And this issue has lacked attention from senior leaders. Therefore, the committee directs the DNI in consultation with the Secretary of Defense jointly consider relevant to submit a report within a 180-day period of the date of enactment of this act to the Congressional Intelligence and Armed Services Committees on Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, also known as Anomalous Aerial Vehicles, including observed airborne objects that have not been identified. Senator Marco Rubio, who chairs the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, told a CBS affiliate in Florida that he's most interested in learning from the task force who's responsible for unidentified aircraft spotted over American military bases. Rubio said he hopes the Chinese or Russians or some other adversary hasn't made some sort of technological leap that allows them to conduct this sort of activity. That, to me, Rubio said, is a national security risk and one we should be looking into. While such UAVs may very well come from foreign adversaries, the other possibility, of course, is that we can't pinpoint their origins from anywhere on this planet. And that's where the New York Times report gets really interesting. Harry Reid, the former Nevada senator who was instrumental in funding the original UFO program, told the Times he believes that crashes of objects of unknown origin may have occurred and that retrieved material should be studied. After looking into this, he says, I came to the conclusion that there were reports. Some were substantive, some not so substantive. But there were actual materials that the government and private sector have in their possession. An earlier version of this Times article said Reed believed crashes from other worlds had indeed occurred, 
and that retrieved materials had been studied secretly for decades, often by aerospace companies under government contracts. The Times has corrected Reed's account, and Reed has since clarified his statements in a tweet below. Popular Mechanics has updated this section of the article accordingly, where Harry Reed says, I have no knowledge, and I have never suggested the federal government or any entity has unidentified flying objects or debris from other worlds. I have consistently said we must stick to science, not fairy tales about little green men. Despite the Pentagon statements that it disbanded a once-covert program to investigate unidentified flying objects, the effort remains underway. Officials continue to study mystifying encounters between military pilots and unidentified aerial vehicles. The astrophysicist Eric Davis, who consulted with Pentagon's original UFO program and now works for the defense contractor Aerospace Corporation, told the Times that after he examined certain materials and crashes, he came to the conclusion that we couldn't make them ourselves. In fact, Davis briefed a Department of Defense agency along with Harry Reid as recently as March about retrieving materials of off-world vehicles not made on this planet. This next story is unbelievable. When I saw the video footage of this, I could not believe what I was seeing. I had to watch it over and over again. A UFO bigger than Earth flying past the sun was spotted by NASA's observation mission. The development comes weeks after a camera at the International Space Station spotted an unknown cone-like object that was flying upward. NASA's stereo observation mission has spotted what fans of conspiracy theories said is a gigantic UFO flying past the sun. The incident itself occurred on the 29th of February, but the footage of it has posted just recently on the channel Hidden Underbelly 2.0, dedicated to the mysteries, events, and sightings. According to the host, Stereo's camera filmed the humongous object for four seconds, after which it turned off and began working only after the UFO had passed completely out of sight. This humongous object appears to be bigger than Mercury, it appears to be bigger than Venus, and it appears to be bigger than our own planet Earth. If you can tell this thing doesn't look like our space station in no way, it doesn't look like any satellite than any expert who has analyzed this video has ever seen. To be honest, when I first saw the footage, I thought of Ezekiel's wheel. If you're familiar with the story of Ezekiel seeing a giant wheel in the sky, at that time in human history, if you see a craft in the sky, some kind of an unidentified flying object, uh, the point of technology in that, area in that realm was equivalent to the size and shape of a wheel. They didn't have saucers. They didn't have disks. They only had things that normally are in the sky to compare it to, which would be a bird. But to see a wheel in the sky kind of blew Ezekiel's mind, which is why that story is so significant. The host of The Hidden Underbelly refers to to a saying in the book of Ezekiel where the prophet spoke about a flying chariot or described as a wheel, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. NASA has not yet issued a response to this encounter, but the video footage is available 
and it is connected to the space station observation. And it is out there. You've just got to look for this. Google UFO bigger than Earth on Google search, and you'll be able to find this and see it for yourself. It is truly mind-blowing. We need to make what's normal seem strange. To find intelligent alien life, humans may need to start thinking like extraterrestrials. Our hunt for aliens has potentially had a fatal flaw from the beginning. We are the ones searching for them. That's the problem because we are a unique species, and alien-seeking scientists are even stranger and more specialized. As a result, their all-too-human assumptions may get in the way of their alien-listening endeavors. To get around this... The Breakthrough Listening Project, a $100 million initiative scouring the cosmos for signals of otherworldly beings as part of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. SETI, of course, is asking anthropologists to help unmask some of these biases. It's kind of a joke at Breakthrough Listen. Claire Webb, an anthropology and history of science student at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, said... Here on January 8th at the 235th meeting of the American Astronomical Society, AAS, in Honolulu. They tell me we're studying aliens and you are studying us. Since 2017, Webb has worked with Breakthrough Listen to examine how SETI researchers think about aliens, produce knowledge, and perhaps inadvertently place anthropocentric assumptions into their work. She sometimes describes their efforts as making the familiar strange. For instance, your life might seem perfectly ordinary, maybe involving being hunched over a desk and shuttling electronics around between computers until examined through an anthropological lens, which points out that this is not exactly a universal state of affairs. At the conference, Webb presented a poster looking at how breakthrough listen scientists use artificial intelligence to shift through large data and try to uncover potential techno-signatures or indicators of technology or tool use by alien organisms. Researchers who use AI tend to disavow human hand handicraft in the machines they build, Webb told Science. They attribute to a lot of the agency to those machines. I find that somewhat problematic and, at the worst, untrue. Any AI is trained by human beings who present it with the types of signals they think an, an intelligent alien might produce. In doing so, they predispose their algorithms to certain biases. It can be incredibly difficult to recognize such thinking and overcome its limitations, Webb said. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And hence makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4 slash good. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. 
Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, forhims.com slash good. That's forhims.com slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. We're family-owned, family-operated, family-managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same-day pickup and next-day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Excuse me, Captain. This is a wake-up call from the new track home wireless. Uh, what's that now? What if you had to fly this plane? Investigating the link between the Shadow Man phenomena and the terrifying Hatman visitations. If the countless online accounts of paranormal investigators have taught us anything, it's that there's no shortage of terrifying supernatural entities to fear. With the internet's recent obsession with black-eyed kids and the shadow people visitations, you might not notice another paranormal phenomena that's quickly becoming part of the paranormal pulp culture consciousness. The Hat Man. Shadow men weren't really thrown into the paranormal spotlight till around 2001. And that was all thanks to the world's most prolific paranormal radio personality, Art Bell. Anyone unfamiliar with Art Bell, firstly, should be ashamed of themselves, and secondly, should go listen to every episode of Coast to Coast AM that you can get your hands on. I appeared on their program back in 2004, and that was a long time ago, but you might be able to find that in their archives. But, but on top of that, there are plenty of authors, bloggers, and investigators who would love to take credit for uncovering the mysterious Shadow Man phenomena. But their first real public mention goes back to April 12, 2001, when Art interviewed Thunderstrike's First Nation elder teacher and co-founder of the Deer Tribe Metis Medicine Society. During that episode, the pair talked at length about the topic of shadow people and even encouraged listeners to send their own drawings of the terrifying phenomenon. As it turns out, Way more people than anyone could have anticipated were experiencing these frightening encounters. Over the years, these they've uh, there have been plenty of debates about whether or not these shadow people are good or evil, with many landing on both sides of the fence. Dead Files resident uh, physical medium Amy Allen has spoken quite publicly about her belief that shadow people are interdimensional entities that fall on the side of evil time and time again. Since the fateful episode of Coast to Coast AM aired, there have been countless stories, photos, and videos of shadow people uploaded. But what most people don't know is that while many were being tormented by shadow people, a select group were experiencing something similar, but just a little bit different. The Hat Man Syndrome. The Hat Man appears much in the same way that shadow people do, but unlike the phenomena that was made popular by Art Bell and Thunderstrikes, the Hatman encounters bear a few striking differences that set it apart. When he appears, often during the night, the Hatman is always seen wearing a wide-brimmed hat, and though most people are unable to make out any distinct facial features, he is usually described as a solid black mass, 
witnesses are often unable to describe the hat man's lower body, as if he seems to float silently above the ground. One witness said, I saw a tall human-like figure. That figure looked like a man. The man was had no distinguishable features whatsoever. I could see no eyes, no nose or mouth, only blackness. He looked like a shadow, only darker, much darker. He had a very wide-brimmed hat and a long trench coat that flowed as if as he moved, and he stood there for what seemed like an eternity. He then moved very slowly and without sound back into the hallway, just out of view. Tim Brown says from his writing of the man, the, the uh, Hat Man Project. The phenomena seems to center around basements and, according to the experiencers, appears to manifest in situations of intense negativity and family dysfunction. In fact, many times, if one person in a household has started experiencing visits by the Hat Man, it's almost guaranteed that another family member will begin seeing the strange shadow man soon afterwards. Many who report experiences with the hat man believe that the entity has been present with them since their childhood. I myself have a very vivid and a long run-in with what I can describe as a hat man. As for my mem- far as my memories go, I would also spot him in the same long hallway in my basement, usually paying me no attention whatsoever. I continued to have these harmless encounters for a year before he disappeared altogether, um, said one person from the Hatman Project in their retelling. All of a sudden, this black two-dimensional being appeared. It just walked right through the door. I was paralyzed with fear. I sat there looking at it and hoping it would not notice me because I was in a dark area. It stood for a moment, and I could see the very detailed contours of its form. It wore a derby, carried a briefcase and a cane, and it appeared to be dressed like someone on a business trip or maybe a traveler. At first glance, it's easy to want to clump the hat man into the same category as shadow people. But once you do enough research, you quickly discover just how many people are having their own truly unique experiences with this strange entity. To the point where there's no doubt that the hat man is a separate phenomena altogether. Thanks to the internet age, stories about people's paranormal experiences get passed around like wildfire. And it's easy to pass them off as being hoaxes or exaggerations. But I think many of us would agree that there has to be something strange happening if thousands of people are experiencing the same thing. We don't know exactly who the hat man is or what he wants. But one thing for certain is if you see him, you might want to start examining your relationships with the people in your house. Flying Saucers and the Bible Connection Bible scholar Barry Downing firmly believes that biblical teachings were inspired by extraterrestrials who came to earth in flying saucers. Downing was so convinced he wrote a book about the theory called The Bible and Flying Saucers, Lip Kant, New York, 1968. In the book... He says the Bible clearly points out how UFOs played a strong role in the evolution of the Hebrew Christian faith. Downing believes the scriptures suggest that Jesus' resurrection occurred when he was beamed up from earth by a flying saucer. Downing also believes that the bright cloud that led the people of Israel through the Red Sea, parting the waters, and then engulfing the Egyptians was a UFO. The author even claims 
It was space beings who spoke to Moses from the middle of the glowing thicket and later spoke to Elijah outside of the cave, forcing the prophet to shield his eyes because of the brightness. A UFO took Jesus away at the ascension and hovered over Paul and his followers on the Damascus road, Downing contends. He also claims the three wise men probably followed a UFO to Bethlehem. Since stars do not move or abruptly stop in the manner the UFO des- the uh, Bible describes, Downing claims that evidence proving UFOs could be hazardous to human health can also be found in the Bible. He points to the references to the Egyptians drowning in the Red Sea, warnings given to Moses not to approach too near the burning bush, and warnings given to his followers not to approach Mount Sinai as proof. The author points out other mystifying events in the Bible that he believes can only be interpreted to mean the participants had contact with UFOs. For example, he points out that when Moses descended from Mount Sinai with two tablets in his hands, Exodus records that the skin of his face shone from talking to God, and he says the New Testament describes how Jesus began to glow when in contact with a bright object on a mountain. When the tabernacle was built, Downing contends the priests serving it were told by ETs what clothing to wear to protect themselves against radiation. Because the UFO hovered like a cloud over the tent enclosing the tabernacle, Downing believes this precaution could have brought about the Jewish custom of wearing skull caps into houses of worship, yarmulkes. The author even suggests mutations in the growth of biological life caused by radiation could have resulted in the plagues described in Exodus. Downing further theorizes that Einstein's curvature of space theory provides a clue to where heaven is located. The author contends Jesus may have meant that the kingdom of heaven literally rests in the midst of us, meaning that heaven is on an entirely different plane or wavelength, invisible to us, but existing parallel to our own, connected by bends or warps in the space-time continuum. Ezekiel and the Strange Beings Who were they exactly? The prophet Ezekiel was a Jewish priest who lived in Chaldea. He claimed he was contacted four times during a 20-year period, beginning about 593 B.C., by man-like beings who came to Earth in a fiery chariot. NASA rocket engineer Joseph Blumrich believes Ezekiel was probably the world's first UFOlogist, describing in detail the strange beings that confronted him and their craft. Ezekiel's writings, of course, can be found in the Old Testament. In this book, The Space Beings of Ezekiel, Bontem, New York, 1974, which was published, Blumrich reinterprets Ezekiel's observations to produce an engineering analysis of the fiery chariot described in the Bible. Like I mentioned earlier, seeing a UFO at that time in the history of mankind, one would compare it to a wheel, a wheel in the sky. Uh, No one would at that time know what a saucer was or a disc or even a uh, cigar-shaped vehicle in the sky. They would equate it to a wheel. Incredibly, that analysis found that the object Ezekiel encountered could be built today. NASA, the author points out, holds patents on atmospheric 
reentry vehicles closely designed after the object Ezekiel reported. In the Bible, Ezekiel writes, He watched a stormy wind descend from the north, fire flashing forth continually, and within it he saw the likeness of four living creatures, each with four wings and a pair of human hands. Now, sounds a lot like uh, winged creatures, humanoids that could be close to what we think of as the Mothman or perhaps gargoyles or uh, any other type of winged cryptid. Bloomrick interprets this to mean four landing legs, possibly, each with four-bladed helicopter and mechanical arm attachments supporting a, a uh, spacecraft body. Ezekiel was able to positively identify only one feature of the object, the wheels, one at the bottom of each leg, which were capable of moving in any direction. Author Bloomrick believes Ezekiel's observation a wheel within a wheel describes a technique for locomotion. The U.S. space program incorporated into vehicles designed to operate on the surface of other planets. Ezekiel describes the wheels he saw as light greenish-blue and the body of the object as resembling rock crystal or terrible ice, as suggesting uh, to Bloomrick that the prophet was seeing a shiny surface, the same shiny surface described in thousands of present-day UFO sightings. From the object, the Bible tells us, emerged the appearance of a man who had been seated upon the likeness of a throne. Ezekiel refers to the being as the glory of the Lord, rather than the Lord himself, Bloomrick points out. The author believes the likeness of a man described by Ezekiel was a spacecraft commander who wore a gold or brass-colored suit and demonstrated for the prophet his ability to fly from his craft to the ground. Then taken for a ride on the craft, Ezekiel described the experience with the words, The Spirit lifted me up, according to Bloomrick's interpretation, and when they landed, seven men received the commander. One of them said, I have done as thou didst command me. Three more times over the following 20 years, Ezekiel described the same craft, and after each encounter, the prophet described the experience with the words, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and the Spirit took hold of me, or the Spirit lifted me up. Bloomrick speculates the prophet may have been describing a hyphonic influence and teleportation, possibly. He also theorizes that the UFO began its descent after separating from a larger UFO at 220 miles in altitude. A brief firing of its rockets enabled the craft's helicopter-like blades to descend the rest of the way and maneuver for a landing. The author believes Ezekiel witnessed this phase of the flight, and the prophet mistook the rockets blasting for lightning and the helicopter blades for rushing wind. The author believes Ezekiel was chosen for an encounter because he was a priest and occupied a leadership role among his people. Based on Ezekiel's observations, Bloomrick believes that speculated the ETs were studying humans and ex, um, exerated the intellectual influence of the development of human civilization through the priest Ezekiel. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, 
Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Business Insider indicates a highly pathogenic strain of H5N1 bird flu has been reported in China's Hunan province. A highly pathogenic strain of H5N1. It's reported that the Chinese officials had said, according to Saturday, a report from Reuters. The outbreak was reported on a farm in the city of Shenyang, in the Hunan province, according to China's Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, of the 7,850 chickens on this farm, where the outbreak occurred, 4,500 of them died of the H5N1 avian flu, Reuters reported. The Chinese government said it killed, which killed, of course, 17,828 chickens as a result of the H5N1 outbreak. Per the United States Geological Survey, the bird flu is deemed highly pathogenic based on its ability to kill birds. The designation of low or highly pathogenic avian influenza refers to the potential of these viruses to kill chickens. The USGS website says the highly designation of low pathogenic or highly pathogenic does not refer to how infectious the viruses may be to humans, other mammals, or other species of birds. The USGS noted, however, the most strains of the bird flu are not highly pathogenic and cause few signs of disease in infected wild birds. However, in poultry, some low pathogenic strains can mutate into highly pathogenic avian influenza strains that cause a contagious and severe illness among poultry and sometimes wild birds, often resulting in death. According to the World Health Organization, while H5N1 can be easily transmitted to humans, typically through contact with dead birds or contaminated environment, it is fortunately rare in humans. The virus does not infect humans easily and spread from person to person. The person appears to be unusual, though. There is no evidence that the disease can be spread to people through properly prepared and thoroughly cooked food. The mortality rate in humans is 60%. The news comes as the Hunan coronavirus, which is believed to have originated from a bat in the Hubei province, which is north of Hunan, continues to spread throughout the country and has caused more than 259 human deaths and infected around 12,000 people. Who remembers the flu outbreak of 2009? It was the H1N1 pandemic. It was the spring of 2009. I myself was in New York City at this time. A novel influenza known as H1N1, the virus emerged. It was detected first in the United States and spread quickly across the country and eventually throughout the rest of the world. This new H1N1 virus contained a unique combination of influenza genes, not previously identified in animals or people. This virus was designated as influenza, an H1N1 PDM09 virus. 
10 years later, work continues to better understand influenza, prevent diseases, and prepare for the next pandemic, which we are currently in. The 2009 H1N1 pandemic, the new flu emerges. The virus was very different from H1N1 itself that were circulating at the time of the pandemic. There were two different strands side by side. Few young people had any existing immunity as detected by antibody response to the H1N1 PDM09 virus, but nearly one-third of people over 60 had antibodies against this virus, likely from exposure to an older strain of H1N1 itself. Early in their lives since, the H1N1 PDM09 virus was very different from the original H1N1 virus, vaccination with the seasonal flu offered little cross-protection against H1N1 PDM09 viruses. Now, it was produced as a result of the H1N1 outbreak. It was not available in large quantities until late November after the peak of the illness during the second wave had come and gone in the United States. From April 12, 2009 to April 10, 2010, the CDC estimated there were more than 60.8 million cases, the range being 43.3 to 89.3 million, so a bare average 60.8. 274,304 hospitalizations and 12,469 deaths in the United States due to the H1N1 PDM09 virus. Additionally, the CDC estimated that 151,700 to 575,400 people worldwide died from H1N1 PDM09, which is version 2 of the original H1N1. This differs greatly from typical seasonal influenza epidemics during which about 70% to 90% of deaths are estimated to occur in people 65 years and older. Though the 2009 flu pandemic primarily affected children and young and middle-aged adults, the impact of the H1N1 PDM09 virus on the global population during the first year was far less severe than that of the previous pandemics. Estimates of pandemic influenza mortality ranged from 0.03% of the world's population during the 1968 H3N2 pandemic to 1% to 3% of the world's population during the 1918 H1N1 pandemic. It is estimated that 0.001% to 0.007% of the world's population died of respiratory complications associated with H1PDM09 viruses. The infection during the first 12 months, the virus circulated. The United States mounted a complex, multifaceted, and long-term response to the pandemic, summarized in the 2009 H1N1 pandemic summary, highlighting April 2009 to April 2010. On August 10, 2010, WHO declared an end to the global 2009 H1N1 influenza pandemic. However, H1N1 PDM09 viruses continued to circulate as seasonal flu viruses and caused illness, hospitalization, and deaths worldwide every year. Which brings us to the new goon in charge, Donald J. Trump.
who in 2018 dismantled the United States Pandemic Task Force Agency, saying that it wasn't needed because the United States was strong enough to withstand any pandemic and just the regular CDC could handle it. Well, that pandemic group had been around since the days of President Richard Nixon. It had evolved, it had moved into another name, it had branded itself and become something stronger. And they really had a good eye for what was coming up and how to prepare people for possible pandemics or sweeping of illness. And in 2018, our President Trump disbanded that organization which brings us to 2020 with this pandemic, this outbreak that our president originally called a hoax, referred to it as a democratic hoax that the Democrats were using to damage his chances at re-election, that it was a media hoax, that the media was lying, the Democrats were lying, it was all Nancy Pelosi. And then he went on to blame Obama for dismantling the organization that he himself dismantled in 2018, which was a good year after Obama left office. But that's all on Trump. And now he's taking the pandemic seriously. And today on Twitter, that slack-jawed son of a bitch said that he knew from the very beginning that it was a serious pandemic. I can't even with this guy. He is by far the biggest gold medal earning idiot on the face of the earth. He is not fit to lead. He is not fit to run a company. He is not fit to drive an Uber. The man needs to jump up his own ass and swallow. A line from the movie Dark Knight with, of course, Batman and Heath Ledger as Joker. He states, see their morals their code. It's a bad joke dropped at the first sign of trouble. They are only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you when the chips are down, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not the monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. Let's not prove him right. Keep your senses. Coronavirus and the sun, a lesson from the 1918 influenza pandemic. Fresh air, sunlight, and improvised face masks seem to work a century ago, and they might help us a little bit now. When new virulent diseases emerge, such as SARS and COVID-19, the race begins to find new vaccines and treatments for those affected. As the current crisis unfolds, governments are enforcing quarantine and isolation, and public gatherings are being discouraged. Health officials took the same approach 100 years ago when influenza was spreading around the world. The results were mixed, but records from the 1918 pandemic suggest one technique for dealing with influenza. Little known today was effective. Some hard-won experience from the greatest pandemic in history could help us in weeks and months ahead. Put simply, Medics found that severely ill flu patients nursed outdoors recovered better than those treated indoors. A combination of fresh air and sunlight seems to have prevented deaths among patients and infections among medical staff. There is a scientific 
Support for this. Research shows that outdoor air is a natural disinfectant. Fresh air can kill the flu virus and other harmful germs. Equally, sunlight is germicidal, and there is now evidence it can kill the virus. Open air treatments in 1918. During the great pandemic, two of the worst places to be were military barracks and troop ships. Overcrowding and bad ventilation put soldiers and sailors at risk, high risk, of catching influenza and other infections that often followed it. As with the corona current COVID-19 outbreak, most of the victims of so-called Spanish flu did not die from influenza. They died of pneumonia and other complications. When the influenza pandemic reached the East Coast and the United States in 1918, the city of Boston was particularly hit hard. So the state guard set up an emergency hospital. They took it the worst. They took in the worst cases among sailors on ships in Boston Harbor. The hospital's medical officer had noticed the most seriously ill sailors had been in badly ventilated spaces. So he gave them as much fresh air as possible by putting them in tents. And in good weather, they were taken out of their tents and put in the sun. At this time, it was common practice to put sick soldiers outdoors. Open-air therapy, as it was known, was widely used on casualties from the Western Front, and it became the treatment of choice for another common and often deadly respiratory infection of the time, tuberculosis. Patients were put outside in their beds to breathe fresh outdoor air, or they were nursed in cross-ventilated wards with the windows open day and night. The open-air... Regimen remained pop, uh, popular until antibiotics replaced it in the 1950s. Doctors who had firsthand experience of open air therapy at the hospital in Boston were convinced that it was very effective. It was adopted elsewhere. If one report is correct, it reduced deaths among hospital patients from 40% to about 13% according to the Surgeon General of Massachusetts State Guard. Dave Grohl says that the Foo Fighters recorded their upcoming album, their 10th album, in that neat, uh, in California, and it turns out the house is haunted. They can't even tell you about the house because a lady is trying to sell it. Huh. They said, we found out about the history of the house, and I had to sign an effing non-disclosure agreement with the landlord because he's trying to sell it, so I can't give away what happened there, but they set up a baby monitor. Things did happen. They did How see cool things. How cool is that? Um, their guitars would be detuned between sessions. All their settings on their soundboard would go back to zero. Their tracks would go missing. Some tracks didn't record while theirs would be there instead i guess like weird mic open noises okay like the yeah, yeah, yeah mic would just open and noises would be there sure when they walked into the house dave said i knew the vibes were definitely off but the sound was effing on he said <laughs> the, stuff. the vibes were off but the sound yes. was on he said stuff That's started happening awesome. almost right away and they got increasingly weirded out and that wild? Yeah, who would not? I mean, like that's yeah, that's really weird. I Once mean, like, this, you're recording, you're recording like one of the coolest albums that you can record. What your your tenth one, and then right. all of a sudden you're surrounded by a bunch of ghosts. <laughs> I love it. Once they sell that house, I bet we'll get more details. Well, yeah, you want to know ahead of time though that that's the house, right? Yes. Oh my god, I, it's kind of cool actually. Some people 
like look for haunted houses. I, that's what I think too. I think like eventually they could probably get more out of that house because that would be the place. Neil Parks would love that. Foo Fighters recorded there and it's haunted. Yep. He buys haunted items online. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're you're begging curses to be inside well, let's be your honest. home. Neil, you know, he he wants to hang out with the ghosts pretty bad. He does. Yes, man. he does. <laughs> he has some books written right now. You can check them out, uh, or you can buy them online. Neil Parks, look for him. He's local, and it's all the local haunts around here. Chillicothe, you name it. He has been there, and he's written about it. And now a word from our sponsor. A British woman who claimed to uh, have that she's had sex with at least 20 ghosts says she's now engaged and prepared to be married to a poltergeist. Last December, I shared a short story with you that was shared with me from British TV show ITV this morning. She apparently cheated on her fiancé with a ghost originally and has since gone on to have supernatural affairs with at least 20 paranormal beings, according to this source. Well, now she says she's found true love with an apparition. Realm said the ghost asked her to get married during a trip to celebrate their nine-month relationship at England's Wookiee Hole Caves. Wookiee Hole. Sounds interesting. According to The Sun, there was not going, uh, there was no going down on one knee. He doesn't have knees, she says. But for the first time, I heard him speak. She told The Sun, I could actually hear his voice, and it was beautiful, deep, sexy, and real. The 30-year-old said she met her spooky match, who doesn't have a name, during a work trip to Australia in February of 2018. I'd not had a phantom fling for a while, and I was away on business all the time. Starting a new relationship was the last thing on my mind, the Bristol-based spiritual counselor told the son. Then one day, while I was walking through the bush, enjoying nature, I suddenly felt this incredible energy. A new lover had arrived, Realm said. Her friends and family have embraced her unusual engagement, and now she is planning her big day in a pagan ceremony. We haven't discussed the details yet, but I think it will be quite a big to-do, she said. However, the couple has already had sex on the plane back from Australia when they first met. I don't know if that would be a Mile High Club thing or they just happen right there in the seat in front of everyone, but I hope there were no children present. I was happy and excited, so excited that we had to do something, she said. So we <coughs> headed the plane low and, uh, well, I am now a member of the Mile High Club. The bride-to-be added this that the engagement is much more satisfying than her previous living fiancé. Sorry, I got choked up a second ago. This is just too unbelievable for words. Sometimes I get the feeling that I'm being moved, she said. Orgasms I have with my spirit lovers have been way more satisfying than any I've had with ordinary men. You know, you know darn well what I'm talking about, if anyone's been paying attention. His name was George Floyd. A Minnesota grocery store called the police on him Memorial Day when they thought he was writing a bad check. Turns out it wasn't a bad check. His check card he tried to use had a cracked magnetic strip, so it wouldn't work. So he goes to his vehicle, a Mercedes SUV, mind you, and with food donations and 
clothing donations in his back seat that he was headed to drop off to at a church to help people that are victims of this pandemic that's been plaguing us since February. He takes a company check-in because dude's a self-made businessman, or was, I should say, and proceeds to write a check to cover the cost of the things he bought to donate. And the person in this store thought he was just a regular black man trying to weasel his way into some goods, stolen goods, by passing bad checks. Turns out that wasn't the case at all. Dude had plenty of money in his account to back it up, but that wasn't discovered until after he was killed. Murdered by four police officers. Police officer Derek Chauvin, badge number 1087, along with two other officers, pinned him down to the hard pavement. But not before they pulled him violently from the driver's side seat of his vehicle as he was trying to show them documentation proof that he had the money in his account to cover it, showing them his business checks, trying to show them his ID. They weren't interested in that. They wanted to just point fingers and say, you're just another black man trying to weasel his way into our comfort zone and be one of us. You'll never be one of us. You're a black man. They stuck their knee on George's neck until he died. While officer badge number 7162, Toy Teo, stood by and did nothing. The officer who had his knee placed in the back of George's neck casually placed his hands in his pockets as if he was waiting for a bus to arrive to pick him up at a bus stop. Just casually placing his hands in his pockets like it's another day. I'm hanging out at the ball diamond watching a game. This is great. That's the look on his face, he couldn't have cared less that he was strangling the life out of a man who was posing no threat to them, not resisting anything, trying to comply with their requests and show them all necessary paperwork that each one of them shouted at him individually with guns drawn. Not even so much as a, hey, what's going on here? Uh, we got a call that you're trying to pass a bad check. Can you let us see this check? Uh, let's go over here and have a talk. No, they immediately... Because dude was a big black man, went for a hostile reaction, and ended in a terrible act. The one officer stood by and did nothing. An Asian officer, mind you. So as he stood there, just looking at everyone, and George is calling out to people that are standing by, recording this as it's happening, as they're pleading with the officers to stop. The man can't breathe. The mayor of Minneapolis saw this. Jacob Frey is his name. He announced on Tuesday that the four officers had been fired. The FBI is currently investigating the incident, where over 19,000 people, just that day alone, online, through several social formats, watched George as he died. Now, more than millions and millions of people have seen the video footage. And <clears throat> there's, no, there, there's no other way to, to put it. These officers murdered an innocent man because of the color of his skin. I can't breathe, he screamed. He was screaming this over and over and asking for water and asking for them to let their knee off the back of his neck. They had him handcuffed, face down on the ground, thrown to the hard pavement. 
yanking him from his vehicle before his seatbelt was even unbuckled, strangling him with that. I don't think there's much to investigate. He was murdered, plain and simple, by the Minneapolis Police Department. Literally in no time at all, which was very much needed, very necessary to happen. Protests took to the streets, not just in Minneapolis, but they're in Cincinnati. They're in Cleveland. They are in New York. They are in Washington, D.C. They are in Lafayette. They are in Miami, Los Angeles, Seattle, all major metropolitan and even not so large cities. People are taking to the streets because people of all color, or at least those that are of a different color, not being black, have had enough of this tyranny and this police state that we have become. Let me get this straight. Someone with a Black Lives Matter sign sitting on the ground peacefully protesting the senseless murder of George Floyd with their hands up warrants a guns drawn tear gas response from police. While last month, white men with AR-15s fully armed head to toe, carrying live grenades and grenade launchers, get to storm more than a dozen state capitals, intentionally blocking traffic and preventing hospital workers from tending to COVID patients and verbally abusing, along with pointing their firearms and throwing rocks and bottles at counter-protesters, all in an attempt to push against the lockdown during this global pandemic. And nothing happens to them. They spit, they cuss, they threaten, they scream in the faces of police officers, and the police just stand there because it's their right to protest. They never draw a gun. They never make an arrest. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in two different Americas. I'm Neil Parks. This is Paranormally Speaking. It's my weekly podcast that I do where I discuss strange, unusual news, weird supernatural happenings, the unexplained, the paranormal. <sighs> and there's nothing normal about what's going on in our world. It's as if we live in an alternate reality where things that were once frowned upon are completely socially acceptable now. Where the things we were taught by our parents and our grandparents and our forefathers are practiced daily by our elected officials. We were taught not to do. They do all the time, every day. We have a man in the Oval Office who consistently lies and belittles people and robs people of their integrity. The man has no soul, no backbone, no integrity of his own. Yet somehow, he became the President of the United States under the jurisdiction of the Electoral College, which... The Electoral College is completely unnecessary to begin with. We should have eradicated it decades ago, if not a century ago. The Republican Party is no longer the party of Lincoln. McCain was the last great man standing of the Republican Party. And the only one we have now that's worth a damn is Mitt Romney. The only Republican elected official that has any integrity, any backbone, any grit any true love for America and democracy and freedom is Mitt freaking Romney. Quarantining with a ghost, it's scary. For those who believe they're locked down with a spectral roommate, the pandemic has been less isolating than they bargained for. 
It started with the front door. Adrian Gomez lives with his partner in Los Angeles, where their first few days of sheltering in place for the coronavirus pandemic proved uneventful. They worked remotely, baked, took a two-mile walk each morning, and refinished their porcelain kitchen sink. But then one night, the doorknob began to rattle, vigorously, so loud he could hear it from across the apartment. Yet no one was there. In mid-April, Mr. Gomez was in bed when a nearby window shade began shaking against the window frame so intensely, despite the fact that the window was closed. An adjacent window shade remained perfectly still. The cats were all accounted for, and no bug nor bird or any other small creature had gotten stuck in there. That, Mr. Gomez thought at that point, it was perhaps a small earthquake. I very seriously hid myself under the comforter like you see in horror movies because it really did freak me out a little, he said. Now, though, neither he nor his partner noticed any unexpected or unexplained activity at home before this, the couple can distinctly make out footsteps above their heads. No one lives above them. I'm a fairly rational person, said Mr. Gomez, who is 26 and works in IT support. I try to think, what are the reasonable, tangible things that could be causing this? But when I don't have those answers, I start to think maybe something else is going on. They are not alone, possibly in more ways than one. For those who experience the self-isolation, it involves what they believe to be a ghost. Their days are not just by Zoom meetings and punctuated under that or homeschooling, but by disembodied voices, shadowy figures, misbehaving electronics, invisible cats, cozying up to them on the couch, caresses from hands that aren't there, and even in some cases, to borrow the technical parlance of Ghostbusters, free-floating, full-torso, vaporous apparitions. Some of these people are beyond frightened, and of course, others say they just appreciate the company. There is no scientific evidence for the existence of ghosts, a fact that has little bearing on our collective enthusiasm for them. According to a 2019 YouGov survey, 45% of U.S. adults believe in ghosts. In 2009, the Pew Research Center found that 18% of Americans believe themselves to have seen or otherwise encountered before stay-at-home restrictions in New York, Patrick Hens, 42, left Manhattan with his husband and daughter to spend six weeks at an adorable cottage in western Massachusetts that they rented in, on an uh, Airbnb. One night, Mr. Hens woke up around 3 a.m., the 3 a.m. time. We've been over this before. Thirsty for a glass of water. He said he walked into the kitchen and saw a white man in his 50s wearing a well-worn World War II-era military uniform and cap sitting at the table. It seemed perfectly normal in the split second before I realized, wait, what's happening? And I turned to look, but he was gone, said Mr. Hens, who is the host of the podcast True Crime Obsessed. It didn't feel menacing at all. It almost didn't even occur to me to tell my husband the next morning. If you were to accept the premise that ghosts are real, it stands to reason that some tension would naturally result once their flesh and blood roommates start spending much, much more time at home together. Unfortunately, I've received a lot of hate mail lately and messages of 
disdain and hate from those that were unhappy with my 15-minute long rant and rave about the careless and thoughtless murder of George Floyd and the gentleman jogging through a neighborhood in Georgia and shot dead by white supremacists who were declaring a citizen's arrest against Mr. Arbery for the crime of being black or for the female black EMT, I believe it was in California, who due to a mistake in dispatch from police, they stormed her home and shot her multiple times, no questions asked, guns blazing, because they believed it to be a drug house. However, they had the wrong address. And her crime was the crime of being black. Now, unfortunately, I say this, and many people are quick to be on the defense and saying, how can you say these things and accuse all white people of being malicious and hateful and racist and cops of being malicious and hateful and racist? And the sad reality is, and the truth being, I am not. I am merely woke, and I'm trying to get people to understand that I was at one time in my life bigoted, not racist, bigoted, prejudiced, believed that I was better than because of my white skin color. I, at one time many years ago, didn't think that a black man should ever be president, not because I wanted to see a black man hang from a tree or publicly lynched in the streets or to not receive fair housing for that matter. I just saw it from my white eyes as a way for the black agenda to be met. Whatever that agenda was, I feared it because I didn't know it. I grew up in a very rural area in the Midwest. Went to a school where we had no black, Latino, gay, or at that time we didn't know they were gay. They came out much later. But anyway, we were all white. We were all white wasps, essentially. White Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And I was taught that Catholicism wasn't really Christianity, that it was a cult. So there was a great disservice against me because sometimes people that mean well and believe that they are doing the Lord's work are completely ignorant and blinded by their own prejudices because they too had these same prejudices passed down to them. And that brings to mind the term white privilege. And I had to explain white privilege to a few fellow white people last week who asked me what it meant. So I broke it down for them like this. White privilege is when a random white mass shooter is calmly apprehended and peacefully escorted into custody by a few police officers. That is, if the shooter didn't turn the gun on themselves first. In the same instance... Eight or more white police officers will violently and aggressively topple a black man to the ground for the crime of allegedly selling single cigarettes from a pack or allegedly passing a bad check or a counterfeit bill or perhaps by matching the description of a random black person of interest. These incidences often result in the death of said black person while in police custody. And in the end, a majority of the time, the accused actually committed no crime whatsoever. Their crime was the crime of being black 
and the wrong place at the wrong time. Another example would be our white president referring to members of the KKK and other white supremacist groups as fine people, while in the same breath he will call Black Lives Matter and their movement a group of thugs and declares that they should be considered a terrorist organization. What else would be considered white privilege? A group of two dozen or more Minutemen, heavily armed, if not thousands of them, storming over two dozen state capitals, blocking traffic and preventing medical professionals from attending to COVID-19 patients, all while crying that it's their constitutional right. And they become praised by our white president as patriots and true Americans. All while peaceful protesters who are outraged by nonstop racism Killings by aggressive police, brutality from police sworn to serve and protect, they are tear gassed, shot with rubber bullets, beaten, knocked over, clubbed, and dragged through the streets while exercising their constitutional rights. The problem is, bad cops are making all cops look bad. I personally know a lot of wonderful police officers who are disgusted by the actions of thugs dressed in uniform. And those who are protesting these injustices and generations of racial oppression are not destroying everything or burning down our cities. There are people operating within these protests deliberately to damage the cause. Ten things to know about the psychology of cults, both terrifying and utterly fascinating. Cults have a tendency to capture the attention of just about everyone. Questions abound. Where do these people come from? What are they really doing inside these secluded compounds? Most interesting, perhaps, are the psychological components of cult life. Questions such as, who in the world would fall for that? In an effort to answer these questions and more, I've provided a list of 10 things to know about the psychology of cults. For starters, cults are attractive because they promote an illusion of comfort. Humans desire comfort, and in a fearful and uncertain world, many turn to cults because they tend to promote exactly what John Patrick Peterson, or psychologist at Caltech, has pointed out, that cult leaders often make promises that are totally unattainable, but also offered by no other group in society. Such things might include financial security, total health, constant peace of mind, and eternal life. These things every human desires at the deepest level. Cults also satisfy the human desire for absolute answers. Today's world is a tough one, with more abstract issues than there are issues that are just black and white. As Dr. Adrian Furham describes in Psychology Today, humans crave clarity. Many people join cults because they believe they are being offered solid, absolute answers for questions such as good versus evil, religion, the meaning of life, politics, etc. Many cult leaders promote messages that are simple and seem to make sense, the exact opposite of what we're often provided with typical everyday life. This screams the sociopathic behavior and tendencies of Donald Trump and his Kool-Aid drinking madman cult crawling out from under the rocks and pandering to the undereducated, poorly educated, easily duped, the list goes on. Those with low self-esteem are more likely to be persuaded by the cult environment. 
People are often surprised to learn that those who join cults are, for the most part, average people. They come from all backgrounds, all zip codes, all tax brackets, all races, colors. But research done in the past two decades has found an interesting pattern. Many people successfully recruited by cults are said to have low self-esteem. Cults generally do not look to recruit those with certain handicaps or clinical depression. However, people with low self-esteem are easier to break down than they are to build up in an effort to teach them that the cult is the supportive environment they are looking for. New recruits are love-bombed. Once people have been recruited by a cult, they are often what's referred to as love-bombed. You get this in a lot of far-right evangelical churches. This odd phrase is commonly used to describe the ways in which someone with low self-esteem is consistently flattered, complimented, and seduced into order to train their brain to associate the cult with love and acceptance, like a family. Statistically, women are more likely than men to join a cult, but women are used as a way to seduce men into joining cults. According to various research, uh, women make up a whopping 70% of cult members around the globe. Psychologists have different ideas about why more women than men join cults. Dr. David Bromley of Virginia Commonwealth University points out that women simply attend more social gatherings, either religious or otherwise. This makes women statistically more likely to join cults than will ultimately victimize them. Others suggest it has to do with the fact that women have been oppressed for much of human history. Therefore, they are more comfortable being under an authority figure and being told what to do and how to think. Still, others write this off as a total crock. Emma Klein, the author of the best-selling cult-themed novel The Girls, theorizes that young women are often taught to seek the attention of men and to wait for rescue. Joining a cult, says Klein, is a way for many young women to feel as if they are seizing their destiny. Many cult members have rejected religion. Dr. Stanley H. Kath, a psychologist and psychology professor at Tufts University, has treated more than 60 former cult members over the course of his career. From this unique first-hand experience, Kath has noticed an interesting trend. Many people who join cults have experienced religion at some point in their lives and in the end have rejected it. Perhaps this is surprising considering many cults tend to be super religious, or at least claim to be. But Dr. Kath asserts that this trend is a sign of something deeper. Many of those who join cults are intelligent young people from sheltered environments. Growing up in such an environment, says Dr. Kath, often means that many have a history of failing to achieve intimacy, of blaming others for their failures, and of constantly striving for perfectionist goals. These characteristics make them prime targets for cult recruitment. Cults maintain their power by promoting an us-versus-them mentality. The current GOP, for example, has become a cult within itself. Cults prove powerful because they are able to successfully isolate members from their former non-cult lives. Scientology rings a bell. One of the ways cult leaders achieve this is to convince their followers that they are superior to those not in the cult. This is us-versus-them mentality. 
ultimately leads to cult members isolating themselves socially from friends and family. They replace those relationships with new ones inside the cult. The Jehovah's Witnesses behave this way. Cult leaders are masters at mind control. Cult leaders convince their victims to separate themselves from society, give up personal possessions and sometimes huge sums of money. They convince people to buy into whatever they are promoting. To do all this, the cult leader must be a master at mind control. Ways in which leaders gain control over cult members vary, but some popular methods include public humiliation. New cult members may be love-bombed shortly after their arrival, but once they are established, the cult leaders often maintain emotional control through various exercises meant to publicly humiliate a member. One of such methods involves someone sitting in a chair surrounded by other members, at which time they are required to admit their recent failures, base thoughts, shortcomings, etc. Self-incrimination is another way. A favorite tactic of some infamous cult leaders, Jim Jones. Self-incrimination requires cult members to provide their leader with written statements detailing their individual fears and mistakes. The cult leader can then use these statements to shame individual members publicly. Donald Trump does this with his cabinet members and those that are a part of his committees and boards. Brainwashing. Cult leaders, it's another way that they maintain control, are known to repeat various lies and distortions until members find it difficult to distinguish between reality and cult life. Donald freaking Trump exhibits this behavioral trait and this tendency on an hour-to-hour basic basis, if not minute-by-minute. Minute. Paranoia is another means of control to maintain a false sense of comfort. Cults often rely on paranoia tactics. Cult leaders convince their victims that a group, their families, and or the government is out to get them, but that the cult can provide safety. Once a cult member comes to the conclusion that their families and country cannot keep them safe, they begin to worship and put all their faith in their cult leader. Jim Jones was especially skilled at this type of mind control trick. He would encourage members to spy on each other and consistently spoke through loudspeakers at all hours of the day so that cult members would hear his voice, whether awake or asleep. Cult members often have no idea they are even in a cult. Often it can be obvious to those around them. People in cults often don't realize that they have become a part of a cult. Psychologist Dr. Margaret Thaler Singer spent most of her career studying the psychology of cults and brainwashing. She found that most people enter a cult willingly without realizing the power that it has bound to have over them. Singer theorizes that it is partly because some people are more willing to see the perceived benefits than they are the potential dangers. She also mentions that many people assume cults are only religious. Through, uh, though in truth, cults can also be political groups. The Republican freaking party of 2020 is a prime example. It can also be lifestyle groups or business groups. Cult life can have a dangerous and lasting effect. Cult victims often spend years overcoming the emotional damage incurred during their time spent in a cult. Psychologists often treat former cult members routinely, describe the long-term effect being in a cult environment can have on the human body. Dr. John G. Clark Jr. is a Harvard psychiatry professor and the co-founder of the nonprofit group which treats former members and their families from cult behavior. He specifically mentions that the symptoms of temp the temporal lobe 
epilepsy are similar to those seen or reported as resulted from cult conversions. Increased irritability, loss of libido, or altered sexual interest, ritualism, compulsive attention to detail, mystic states, humorlessness, and sobriety, heightened paranoia, all connect to a cult-like mentality and those trying to overcome it. And now a word from our sponsor. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. The weird world of haunted eBay. Purchase with caution. Buyer beware warns the eBay listing for the haunted vintage antique evil active possessed witch demon doll. So many things have happened when this doll is near writes Selamat Treasures number seven. She must go. I cannot have her in my home any longer. The doll which has been photographed from a Ouija board can be purchased for $99.99 plus $7.70 shipping. The Ouija board is not included. Now this is for an artist's obsession with listings for the cursed, doomed, and otherwise unexplained. They actually have this cursed item atop a Ouija board. Haunted Vintage Antique Evil Active Possessed Witch Demon Doll. Buyer beware, it says. For $99.99, you too can own this little piece of evil for your own home. I wouldn't suggest doing that. The owner goes on to say, I just got obsessed, said the artist Eric Ocklander, 31, speaking of the night two years ago when he first came across a listing like this one. The item was described as a haunted box, which we all know as a debit box, and he immediately immediately began searching for others. That night, he captured screenshots of more than 50 similar listings and has been looking at them ever since and for more. Another example, the haunted spelled pirate ship Pirate Spirits brings money and riches for $49.99. Or how about the haunted spirit puppy's dog puppy animal antique old figure? No doll, paranormal, for $14.99. Or the haunted 16-inch spiritual doll, spirit vessel, supernatural paranormal power, could be yours for $59 and $7 shipping. There's also the haunted bones totem, magical for the metaphysical, for only $5.95, with $4 shipping. Oglander describes himself as a collector of aesthetics, and his material is the ephema of this world and around us for him it is not the item on sale but rather the listing itself which becomes the object the listings are a way of containing a story and also telling a story at the same time he said the images are taken from this collection that he has his previous work includes craigslist mirrors a popular tumblr site that was published as a book in 2016 seemingly simple in conceit it consists exclusively of screenshots of listings of people selling mirrors on craigslist the images are funny poignant and often unintentionally telling 
revealing strange corners of people's lives. Another sample of what he has collected through the years. A large size paranormal haunted box lot, curious doll and jewelry, Wiccan and more, for $50. He also has a cursed ring, 100% haunted, which owned blue stone ring, vessels, vampire master spirit, $140.50. I appreciate the fact that these photos are being taken for the sole intent of selling an object, Oglander said. Once they are put into a new context, however, they can then be appreciated as something aesthetic. By collecting the listings in this way, Oglander brings out patterns that may go otherwise unnoticed, and if so, only in passing. Like the haunted spirit figurine, no doll Sembacat feline plays animal meows for $24.99, or the black-eyed 16-inch spiritual spirit vessel doll, Supernatural Paranormal Power is Haunted, $5,800. The haunted eBay listings include many ordinary objects such as feathers, coins, pebbles, pieces of wood. Often they are said to be enchanted for good luck or for fortune, good or ill. You will be able to feel the vibrational energy from your coin. Must be a positive environment and attitude for it to work. Advises one seller, please note, this chip is for money luck only, not general good fortune or finding love with a different spell, warns another. Uh, another example of an item that's a cursed piece on eBay. Voodoo spell, lucky money token, casino chip, Bally's AC, not haunted but very powerful. Or a metaphysical magical rock, slice of pie, the haunted stone, healing. For $48, you've got a haunted folk magic, natural wood effigy, healing or for hexing, elemental only, $65. Other items are said to have powers all their own. Hearing voices is really common. Faces appearing, sounds, Oglander said, but also misfortunes happen. A string of negative events can happen in people's lives, like these objects have cursed them before. The claims are, of course, difficult to verify. The site's rules dictate that all listings must offer a physical item or tangible service. Many listings include disclaimers about the objects. Supernatural attributes, as required per eBay's policy on the sale of paranormal items. This is for the sale of a tangible item only. No promise of a spiritual attachment, writes one seller. Purchase with caution, writes another. Not recommended for children to play with. There's an It Clown, 21-inch tall, haunted, doll spirit, vessel paper mache, paranormally active and creepy AF, $19. Or the haunted spirit doll, spirit vessel, supernatural, paranormal, active, possessed doll, $39. There's the Corn Man, strange cornfield sightings, paranormal apparition, left behind mask, $110. Haunted coin collection, very active, make wishes, fun and magical. $3.99. Still, such disclaimers do not entirely prevent instances of negative feedback from disappointed customers, which sellers sometimes address. They often reply and say that you need to exit with it for a while before you start experiencing things, said Oglender. You didn't give it enough time. For example, I'm disappointed that nothing happened. Not haunted, not sure why they ensure spirits go to the good people. 
In this context, buyer beware serves as both a disclaimer and as a potential selling point. As one listing put it, I do not take any responsibility for it. If anything at all happens, blown fuses, divorce, etc., the item, a vintage teddy bear, sold for $560 after only 46 bids. Vintage haunted plush teddy bear. When asked if he was superstitious, Oglander said, I guess I believe in spirits. I want to at least hope that there's some magic in the world, some underlying thing we can't see. Still, he has never bought a haunted item himself. There has been a lot that has gone on since spring that the mainstream media has not covered uh, due to the pandemic, the protests, the riots, the senseless murders of George Floyd and the EMT from Louisville, Kentucky, and the fact that no police officers have been arrested in her murder. Uh, the jogger who was brutally murdered by white supremacists in Georgia. The list goes on. Now, we've been heavily distracted and attention has been detracted from several important issues that are an impact to us as well as what's going on currently. For example, you may remember February of 2019 when it was revealed by, well, actually it was last summer, 2019, it was revealed by the Air Force and the Pentagon that they had been tracking and they had recorded evidence of encounters with unidentified aircraft that are not of any known origin of this planet and that are not represented by any government or military superpower. And it's been reviewed by several different governments, world powers, and no one has any idea where it's coming from, what they are, what they want. Well, where it will end, better yet, how it started. And most recently, this summer, in fact, 2020, it was revealed by the Pentagon, NASA, and an intelligence agency that operates above and within the CIA and the FBI that we in our possession have in the United States under military jurisdiction, crafts and vehicles that are not of this world. And we have had for some time. Uh, believe that um, the reverse engineering techniques of many scientists that have since come forward, um, admitting to having taken part in these experiments and working with these projects inside of Area 51. Uh, Bob Lazar comes to mind. I bet he feels pretty vindicated by this point. Not only that coming to mind, but Also, China has managed to manufacture an internal sunspot within our planet. They created a star within planet Earth. It's a generator that is six times hotter than the sun, our own star. And that generator operates on our planet. And if you remember what happened in Spider-Man 2... Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, where Dr. Octavius created sort of the same thing. It was a power generator that inadvertently ended up opening a black hole in the middle of Manhattan. And he sacrificed himself, Dr. Octopus did, to stop it from destroying mankind. The same thing could very well happen in China with these researchers who have put together and created an artificial star on planet Earth. 
you generate enough power that goes off the grid, spirals out of control, you could inadvertently open a black hole with enough mass to crush the Earth from within itself. Sort of a self-contained implosion. Uh, sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. I have got to know, what exactly will it take to turn you against Donald J. Trump, if you are a Trump supporter? What will it take? The mountains upon mountains of lies haven't done it. The hush money paid to porn stars and strippers hasn't done it. His blatant bigotry and ties to white supremacy hasn't done it. The misappropriation of campaign funds and embezzlement from donations that were funneled into his family businesses, which is a conflict of interest when you're president, hasn't done it. Or that time, Donald Trump, along with his grown children, embezzled millions from investors and millionaire donations for a children's charity that they had established, therefore ending up in court and in the end, making it illegal for any of them to work or handle a charity campaign ever again. All this taking place during the 2015-2016 presidential campaign. That didn't make your skin crawl? What about his unimaginable stupidity? That hasn't done it? His might over right mentality of a five-year-old hasn't done it? His misogynistic rhetoric and rampant sexism hasn't done it? Him openly bragging about sexually assaulting women and claiming ownership of underage pageant contestants and bragging about seeing them naked and half-dressed hasn't turned you away from him? The thousands and thousands of lawsuits currently pending against him involving and creating a fake university to extort money from people, not paying what is owed to people and companies he has employed, over 30 rape allegations, sexual assault and misconduct misappropriation of funds and investments, tax code violations, hiding his tax returns, and so on, hasn't done it? His palling around and cozying up with notorious and maniacal dictators and world leaders hasn't turned your stomach? His willingness to allow Russia's Vladimir Putin to place paid bounties on the heads of our troops abroad by the hands of Islamic terrorists hasn't done it. His hundreds and hundreds of weekend golf trips 
paid for by our tax dollars, equaling over $140 million in four years alone, hasn't done it? His willingness of separating thousands of refugee children from their parents when they enter our country illegally or have already been here, placing these refugees in cages at makeshift concentration camps in deplorable conditions hasn't done it. Him making light of and ignoring and or mocking and denying a global pandemic and referring to it as a democratic hoax fueled by the media All the while, close to 200,000 Americans are now dead due to this pandemic. That hasn't done it. Trump investigating in, or sorry, Trump investing in and buying parts of pharmaceutical companies and businesses, persons who are producing a so-called COVID-19 miracle cure that has no scientific basis to actually work as a cure or a remedy against this virus and in reality is causing more harm than good, that hasn't done it. His funneling of money and donations into his family businesses, that hasn't done it. His abuse of power and blatant nepotism, that hasn't done it. His labeling Black Lives Matter and Antifa as terrorist organizations, all the while calling neo-Nazis, the KKK, and the Proud Boys and other white supremacy groups very fine people, and that they should be allowed to exercise their rights, hasn't done it. His little man syndrome, which leads him to behave like a tyrant and a want-to-be dictator, hasn't done it. His mocking of the disabled, fat-shaming people, and belittling the opposition, along with vile name-calling and bullying, hasn't done it. His referring to himself as chosen by God, or being the chosen and anointed one, hasn't done it. His constant playing of the Jesus card when it's convenient, playing Christian evangelicals like a well-tuned instrument and claiming that the opposition hates God and wants to destroy Christianity, that hasn't done it. His secret police that he's established and released upon protesters exercising their First Amendment rights and unleashing brutal force hasn't done it. His daily constitutional infractions and blatant disregard for ethics, a moral code or any ounce of integrity lack thereof hasn't done it. His destruction of the GOP from within and creating his own totalitarian regime and violating the rule of law hasn't done it. His tampering with and attempting to defund and destroy the United States Postal Service by placing his own cronies and corrupt servants in positions of power within the USPS and an attempt to alter and control mail-in ballots during this upcoming election hasn't done it. His connections and involvement with national and global criminal enterprises and sex rings where dozens and dozens of his own business partners, campaign managers and representatives, cabinet members, and his own legal team have all been arrested, charged, currently serving time and or have ended up dead. That hasn't led you to turn away from him. That time where Trump defrauded insurance companies after the 9-11 attacks by claiming ownership of buildings and properties that weren't even owned by him. They were damaged by terrorist attacks and he was sued over this and lost because he did not own these properties. That hasn't done it. His birther conspiracies and his lies that he cooked up with Alex Jones, Rush Limbaugh, and Sean Hannity in an attempt to take down President Obama. 
He tried the same scheme against Ted Cruz and Mitt Romney. He is currently trying the same tricks against Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. This hasn't done it for you? His hats, banners, decals, signs, all professing to make America great again and to keep America great, happen to be made in China. This hasn't changed your mind? His 2016 campaign claim to build a great wall to separate all of America that touches the Mexico and make Mexico pay for it, that hasn't been completed. The area that was has been toppled by hurricanes and hasn't been rebuilt. The fact that he funneled money into the building project from recently arrested Steve Bannon and other investors, which turned into a Ponzi scheme where investors lost billions. That hasn't done it. The fact that he allowed Russia to manipulate and disrupt the presidential election of 2016. It's been proven that he did, in fact, receive help from them and that his campaign team was in regular contact with the Russians during that time. That didn't do it for you. The fact that he ignores and discredits our own military and special intelligence communities and organizations. That doesn't do it. His constant denial of scientific fact, history, and current events, that doesn't do it. That time that he called Mexicans murderers, rapists, drug dealers, thieves, and a lot of really bad hombres, that didn't do it. Remember when he said Muslims were terrorists and he would ban like 12 Muslim countries, which he did from flying into the United States. Yeah, Saudi Arabia wasn't on that banned list. And they were the ones who bankrolled the 9-11 attacks. Trump has businesses and properties in Saudi Arabia. That didn't do it for you? That time he admitted aloud during one of his hate rally campaigns that if he doesn't have an answer, he will just make something up. That didn't turn you away from him? What will it take to turn you away from Donald Trump? King Solomon purportedly wrote one of the earliest works in Western culture, where types of demons are classified by domain. The Testament of Solomon, in this piece, King Solomon describes his interactions with Beelzebub and other demons who he enslaves to help build his temple. The book also contains numerous rituals and sigils that are still used today to conjure demons. Demons listed by Seleucus in the 11th century, Michael Seleuz attempted to classify types of demons by domain. The type of demons that Seleuz divided demons into were Imperial, which uh, fiery, Aerial, subterranean, Lucifugius, which is uh, heliophobic, uh, Equios, and terrestrial. Demons listed by the seven deadly sins. Deadly sin number one, pride, the lantern of light, an anomalous... English Lillard tract, often attributed to Wycliffe, was also known, unknown at that time, a work that is now believed to be written by Wycliffe himself. The book categorized types of demons based upon the seven deadly sins. These types of demons that Wycliffe used would be later found in the books by John Taylor, the water poet. St. Catherine of Siena attacked by demons, deadly sin number one. Deadly sin one is demon Lucifer. Deadly sin number two is envy, Beelzebub. Number three, wrath, Satan. Number four of the deadly sins, sloth, which is Abaddon. 
Deadly sin number five, greed, which is mammon. Number six, the deadly sin and the demon for gluttony is Belphegar. Number seven, the deadly sin of lust is Asmodeus. Spina's list of demons inspired by different legends and stories of his time, Alsfonios de Spina, in 1467, classified demons by incubi and succubi, demons that have sex with the living, demons of fate, otherwise known as the angel of death, wandering groups or armies of demons, otherwise known as legion, familiars, which are animal spirit guides for witches and warlocks who are considered personal demons. Druids, in German folklore, it is an evil spirit that causes nightmares. Cambions and other demons that are born from the union of a demon with a human being, which is also Nephilim. Mischievous demons, which are imps, worker demons. I've encountered many of those upon investigations. Demons that attack clergy. The exorcist is a prime example of that. Demons that entice people into the occult and witchcraft. Bensfield's types of demons. And the Prince of Hell by Peter Bensfield in 1589. Different types of demons, again, are classified by the seven deadly sins. The only exception is that the names of the demons are slightly different than Lantern of Light. Number one, Lucifer is pride. Mammon is once again greed. Asmodeus is lust. Leviathan is envy. Beelzebub is gluttony. Satan is wrath. And Belphegor is sloth again. The King James Bible's version of demons. Several years prior to the King James Bible, in 1591, King James wrote, Demon Ologerg. Demon Ologerg separates demons into four types based on what that devil causes torture on the living and the dead. Spectra, in the modern world, referred to a haunting, spectra or spirits of the dead that haunt places or objects. Obsession, ghosts or spirits that haunt people. Possession, demon or spirits that take over the actual body and soul of the living, and that only happens to the willing. Fairies, spirits or demons that give advice to the living. They commonly live within heavily wooded areas and places of enchantment like Ireland and Scotland. Types of demons, according to Michaelis, types of demons that Sebastian Michaelis has in his own book, The Admirable History, were given to him by the demon Berith. When he was exercising a nun, his classification system is based upon the sin the devil tempts the living to commit. First hierarchy, princes of fallen angels, Beelzebub, the demon that tempts men with pride, is opposed by St. Francis of Assisi. Leviathan, the demon attempts people to give into heresy and is opposed by St. Peter. Asmodeus, the demon that tempts men into wantonness, is opposed by St. John the Baptist. Berith, the demon who tempts men to commit murder, is opposed by St. Barnabas. Astaroth, the demon tempts men to be lazy, opposed by St. Bartholomew. Verine, the demon tempts men with impatience, and he is opposed by St. Dominique. Grizil, the demon tempts men with impurity, opposed by St. Bernard. Son Elan, the demon tempts men to hate, and he is opposed by St. Stephen.
the second hierarchy, of course, demons of powers, dominions, and virtues. Cariou, the demon of powers, and is opposed by St. Vincent and Vincent Ferrer. Carnival, this demon tempts men to obscenity and shamelessness, and he is opposed by John the Evangelist. Oilet, the demon that tempts men to vow of poverty, is opposed by St. Martin. Rosier, a demon of dominions, this demon, he tempts men against sexual purity. He is opposed by St. Basil. Belias, a demon of virtues, this demon, he tempts men with arrogance and women to be vain. Raise their children as want as wantons, and Saint Francis de Paul opposes gossip during Mass. And there's a third hierarchy, and it's pretty much the same as the first and second hierarchy. Not a lot changes between those three variations. Now the nine types of demons, according to Francis Barrett, in Francis Barrett's books, The Magus, uh, written in 1801, offered this his classification for types of demons. Beelzebub, the keeper of false gods, demons of false idols and prophets. Pythias, spirit of lying, the demon of liars. This must be the demon that possesses Donald Trump. Belial, vessel of iniquity, demons of evil things. Asmodeus is the demon of wickedness. Satan is the imitator of miracles, the demon of witchcraft. He's the author of confusion, of course. Miriam. He has aerial powers and also is the demon of pestilence. Abaddon Fioris is the demon of discord. Asteroth Calminators is the demon of inquisitors and fraudulent accusers. And Memon Malageni is the demon of tempters and ensnarers. And that is a list that I felt needed to be shared. It's kind of like a walk down the book of Genesis lesson for you today. This is exactly why they call me preacher when I'm at the Mothman Festival and various other conventions and festivals uh, doing lectures and speaking because I tie in a lot of spirituality and historical knowledge, uh, both world history and biblical history, into my teachings and what I write about and talk about. Thanks for hanging out with me this long. And now, a word from our sponsor. If Jesus were around today and pulled the stunt like, I don't know, feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish, the powers that be, the current GOP, which I refer to as modern-day Pharisees, would call Jesus a socialist radical. The radical left, the violent left, he would be seen as a vigilante inciting violence and rebellion. The GOP that considers themselves to be practicing Christians seem to be doing the exact opposite of what Christ commanded us to do, if not so much command, but suggested, since we are creatures of free will, and that's how God made us. Jesus came here in the flesh after God went through his phase of being vengeful and angry and jealous God and flooding and turning people into pillars of salt and destroying cities and toppling cities with fire from the sky. When he came here on the flesh as Jesus, instead of just being a scientist who creates something or an inventor who creates something and just steps back and watches it do its thing, he actually 
got down in the dirt with his own creation and completely empathized with what he had done, what he had created, and saw us on a whole other level and could identify with the trials and tribulation of being human, which is why Jesus was kind of chill about everything. He had his expectations, still does. He has his expectations and things that he said, look, I want you to do this. Can you do it this way? Not that if you don't do it this way, I'm going to turn you into a pillar of salt. He's kind of like, look, you know, you're my kids. I know you're always going to follow me in the end. I'm always here to accept you with open arms and love you because I'm a God of empathy. I'm a God of love and trust and compassion. But the current powers that be, the GOP, have completely violated the teachings of Jesus Christ and have weaponized it and used it as a political playing card during every election and have dangled the proverbial carrot in front of pro-lifers, making them think that this is what God wants us to do. This is a commandment that we have to follow, that we're going to destroy abortion and stop abortion and murdering of innocent lives, not considering that not everything's black and white. There are gray issues such as there's a medical emergency. The mother could die. The child could die. They could both die. You got to make a choice. You can't just sit back and say, oh, Lord, make it work. God helps those who helps themselves. And he created science and medicine and put people into positions to perfect things and make things better and prolong life and make it more sustainable. And we're called to protect this planet. It's our home currently. We're not called to pass laws and policies that will eventually lead to the destruction of this planet because nothing is less pro-life than that. Or when you're sitting back in your white churches and you're like, uh, they crossed here illegally. Not my problem. But if these were white children and white people being thrown in cages, you better believe the far right would be up in arms over this. But they're brown people, so it doesn't matter. Satan's little helpers. Crimes committed in the name of the devil. Picture a satanic ritual. There will be candles, there will be symbols possibly drawn in blood, and there might be some kind of sacrifice involved, goat or otherwise. It's an idea that's formed the basis for enough horror films. Then there are the times you see it play out in real life. If you look back over the crimes in the last century, some of the worst examples, including brutal murders and child abuse, will have Satan's name attached to them. And that's without having to go back to the Enlightenment era. The devil gave blame for a lot. It's an easy explanation for committing unspeakable acts. Satan made them do it. And in some of the most famous cases of satanic worship, it's simply not true. Take the West Memphis Three. Teenagers Damian Eccles, Jesse Miskelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin were arrested for the murder of three eight-year-old boys, Steve Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. This was in 1993. The children were stripped, hogtied, and killed. Byers had been mutilated. It was a shocking crime that is still picked over today, and the motive was said to be Satanism, a ritualistic killing. But the only links between the teenagers and Satan appeared to be Eccles' history of mental illness, 
and the teenagers shared love of metal that went against the crucial influence of their Bible Belt town. The trial was reminiscent of the moralistic outrage that took over the 1980s in America with this whole satanic panic. Much of it was focused around McMartin's preschool case in 1983 when allegations of sexual abuse were made. A mother at the school made the initial charges of abuse after her son had problems with his bowel movements. The charges then escalated to accusations of flushing children down the toilet to secret rooms and reports of flying witches. The charges were only dropped in 1990 after a trial that had been going on since 1987 found no evidence of abuse or satanic ritual. It was the longest-running case in American history. But it's not all hype. There are cases of horrific abuse and murder that really are linked to Satanism. One of the world's most infamous serial killers, Richard Ramirez, was a Satanist and partly responsible for hysteria in the 1980s. From 84 to 85, he would break into people's homes in the middle of the night. Once inside, he carried out brutal attacks that often involved rape and sodomy before murdering his victims by stabbing, beating, or shooting them. Ramirez was a Satanist and made some of his victims swear on Satan or swear they loved Satan during the attacks. At 17, as I mentioned before, the name Sean Sellers became the youngest person to be given the death penalty after it was reinstated in the 1970s. His crimes were murdering a shop clerk who refused to sell him beer and later his parents before the murders, Sellers had immersed himself in Satanism, signaling his devotion by carrying a vial of fresh blood around his neck, which he would drink from, naturally. On the night of his parents' murder, Sellers had been performing his rituals. He later said he fell asleep and woke up to find his stepfather's gun in his own room. Sellers went into their bedroom and shot his stepfather then, and when she woke up, shot his mother in the face. Sellers' grandfather directed the police to him. Initially, he claimed to have no memory of the crimes, but later said he was two people, Sean and his demonic alter ego. Then there's the case of Michael Taylor, who in 1974 claimed to be possessed. Taylor lived in West Yorkshire with his wife. When she started behaving erratically, his vicer agreed to exorcise him. After hours of trying to expel the demonic spirits, Taylor was warned that a few demons still remained inside him. Quote, that was reason he then slaughtered his wife with his bare hands. He gouged out her eyes, pulled out her tongue, and almost tore her face off completely. He also strangled a dog. Taylor was sent to institutions for four years, but that's not where his story ends. In 2005, he was found guilty of indecently touching a teenage girl. Demonic possession, or rather mental illness, was also behind the murder of Gemma Finnegan by Daniel Johnson in 2013. Johnson, who was schizophrenic, met his partner Finnegan after he was released on probation from prison, having murdered a man in 1996. Finnegan had no idea. Johnson believed she was possessed by a demon and strangled her, beat and stabbed her to death. He was found wandering around a school in Newcastle covered in blood. 
A sex cult that cropped up in Wales in 2011 was also linked to the occult, led by its own high priest, Colin Bately, who enrolled his wife and two other adults. The cult operated out of the group's cul-de-sac. If um, it sounds genteel, the group raped and assaulted children and teenagers, enlisting some into prostitution from that very place. The group practiced occult rituals and writings, but were not technically Satanists. Following the teachings of English occultist Aleister Crowley. In fact, 148 crimes were reported to the Metropolitan Police between 2004 and 2014 that involved witchcraft or ritualistic killings. And it continues. Earlier in 2015, two schoolgirls in America were arrested after they were found carrying weapons. The pair allegedly confessed to a plan that included drinking other children's blood and possibly eating their flesh. What could make two preteen girls plan something so awful? They said they wanted to be with Satan. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. Good evening. My name is Neil Parks. I'm an award-winning author, screenwriter, artist, and I also dabble in the paranormal as far as investigating and researching the unknown. I'm here to read a few of my stories to you in an attempt to do an audiobook Something a little special to possibly scare the pants off of you. My first story. Bloody Birthday. Come on, Aiden. It's time to blow out your candles, said Trish. His mom, as the partygoers were finishing singing, Happy Birthday. Aiden's mother wasn't crazy about the theme for the party. But The Walking Dead was her son's favorite television show. And it's what he desperately wanted. Finally... Trish relented as she couldn't resist his constant pleading any longer. Aiden insisted that his mom and dad dress in costume for the party, but he was also delighted to see that a few of his friends and family got into the spirit and dressed as zombies as well. Some of the relatives had arrived already. They drifted away from the party and were over by the pond. Aiden's mom chose Yachtanji Park as the location for the party because it has a shelter house, lots of room to play games, a playground, and it's a great area for the party because of these things. Plus, the pond, which was next to it, was great for fishing and riding paddle boats. Aiden agreed that it was the perfect setting for the party. A few of Aiden's cousins and his aunt devoured the cake and ice cream and decided to forego the presents 
so they could skip rocks on the pond. Aiden looked in their direction to yell, Thank you! for their present when he saw something big moving along the water near where the ducks were swimming. Look! Look! It's a huge fish! Aiden's cousin shouted. It looks big enough to eat the ducks! Aiden's aunt exclaimed. A few more family members and passerbys moved in closer to see what all the commotion was about. What started out as looking like a huge fish under the water was something entirely different. In fact, there were several floating objects in the water. Aiden's attention was immediately pulled from opening presents to what was happening at the pond. He soon noticed everyone in the vicinity was focused on the same thing. What was causing the big commotion at the pond? Aiden slowly walked toward the water, focusing all his attention on something coming up out of the water. To his disbelief and outright terror, he saw several figures emerging from the water and walking toward him and the partygoers behind him. Oh my God, Mom! They look so real! They look like real zombies from The Walking Dead! Aiden was beyond excited for what he believed to be the ultimate surprise. Several people were crawling out of the pond and walking the grounds near the party area. Most of the younger children scurried away from the horde approaching the birthday party. This is badass! This looks so friggin' real! said Aiden's uncle, who was already dressed as a dollar store zombie. His getup paled in comparison to the obvious hours of work that went into how authentic and movie-like these zombies looked. They've got to be professionals, one of the partygoers said to Aiden's uncle. This must have cost Trish some big bucks, Adam thought to himself. A young couple walking by with their dog came to a stop and watched for a moment. Oh my God, Kyle, it's a zombie walk, excitedly said his girlfriend. The young couple stopped moving and continued watching the large group of people dressed as the undead approached them. A random passerby walked up to the horde and stood next to one of the zombies, hoping for a selfie. But he was instantly grabbed by one of them. The zombie bit deep into the man's neck and grabbed onto his face. The poor man let out an echoing scream. The sound in his flailing drew the attention of the rest of the horde. They descended upon him like a group of starving tigers on a wounded gazelle. The young couple was ripped apart by the other wandering undead cannibals as they stood still in shock. The crowd that gathered to watch the horde emerge from the pond started running away from the scene and screaming. The sounds and movement caught the attention from some of the zombies, and they started to spread out. Most of them started moving towards the birthday party. The confusion and chaos was too much for everyone in the park. One person after another was getting grabbed, attacked, and bitten by what was believed to be a birthday party surprise. Parents were rushing to their children and attempting to grab them and flee between all of the madness. Aiden saw his father in the distance. His dad had finally returned from a last-minute cola run to the store. Aiden wasn't sure how to run through the hell that was breaking loose around them so he could get to his father. He started walking swiftly in the direction of where he saw him. His heart stopped and his gag reflexes kicked in as he tripped over body parts, half-eaten party-goers, and random strangers. 
Aiden's mother started running towards his father, hoping that he could get them help and a quick escape. Mom, Dad, Aiden cried. Aiden began to stumble, then run into his parents' direction. He was only a few feet away from them when he noticed that his dad had blood on his shirt and his arm. The trail of blood was flowing from the side of his neck. Dad! Dad! Aiden screamed. His newly zombified father stopped sauntering and turned to look in his direction. Aiden's mother was within an arm's reach of his dad. It was too late for her to notice that he was now a shell of his former self. Aiden's dad grabbed onto her and bit deep into her face. Her cheekbone was now exposed as the flesh was ripped away by the ravenous biting. Trish! Screams. Her, e her echoes were heard through the park. Mom! No! Dad! Stop it! Stop! Aiden screamed as he watched his mother fall at his father's feet. Blood poured from her deep gashes. Aiden could feel the ice flow through his veins and noticed that his feet felt cemented to the ground as absolute fear crept through his body. He looked around to see more and more of his friends and family running from the party, lying dead on the ground, being attacked by the undead, or rising up to walk among the horde of the walking dead. This was supposed to be a beautiful, memorable day for Aiden. All of the partygoers, friends, and family were supposed to be celebrating another year of Aiden's life. As his mother arose after being eaten alive, both of Aiden's parents started to slowly walk towards a sobbing Aiden. He stretched out his arms as to hug them and to face the inevitable on his bloody birthday. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. November 3rd, 2020 was not just a victory for truth, justice, and the American way. It was also a day where we truly learned that around 71 million fellow Americans voted for Trump and stated by doing so, that they don't care about tyranny, fascism, Black Lives Matter, people of color, gays, public education, our leadership role among other nations, our allies, women, the poor and downtrodden, the truth, liberty and justice for all, our planet, the list goes on. We may have been louder, prouder, and ended up with 80 million plus votes for our side thus giving Biden the victory. However, I would like to extend a thank you to those who still voted for Trump, regardless of everything I just listed. You've made it easier for all of us to know who you truly are and how you truly feel.